welcome to desi return diaries embracing home again the podcast that shares personal journeys and expert insights on returning to india i'm your host avinash pedi here to guide and inspire you on your desi return journey hello everyone welcome back to another episode of desi return this episode is a special one uh, instead of interviewing people who have moved back to india this one uh, i am uh, looking forward to talking to rohit uh, who is considering to move back to india so you know the thought process people are at different stages in their planning uh, for the return to india so i thought this would be an interesting topic and i really appreciate rohit for you to taking the time and sharing your thoughts uh, uh, with our audience here so with that welcome rohit to the show thank you avinash thank you for having me uh, i've seen your channel uh, i've been watching some of the videos on your channel from last couple of weeks i think all of the videos have been extremely helpful um, so i'm glad to be here uh, i'm glad to have this conversation with you that's great yeah thanks rohit so uh, let's start with a little bit of your background uh, your academic when you moved to us uh, a little bit you can set the stage for the audience yeah sure um, well i did my undergrad in computer science i think for most of the folks uh, like um, and back in 2007 2008 um, i completed my undergrad at that point worked in india for one year uh, one of the consulting firms as a software engineer then 2008 i came to us for my masters graduated in 2010 and then i think a luck would have it um i got an opportunity to work in one of the management consulting firms one of the big four management consulting firms as a product and project manager i worked there for four years and then there was another very interesting opportunity came my way in 2014 in one of the financial services they were going through a massive transformation where they were looking to hire a lot of uh, uh a lot of folks with product management experience and project management uh, experience uh, um, and I joined that firm in 2014 I spent 8 years in that firm uh, gradually moved up the ladder uh, my last role there was as a director of product strategist uh, for one of their uh, horizontal pillars and then last year I got another interesting opportunity to move to one of the big tech firms um as a technical program manager so uh, i've been working with that firm at this point i think it's been 16 15 16 months um and i'm i'm seeing a different side of the uh, uh, profession at this point i think working in financial services versus working in tech is 360 uh, 180 degree apart so but i'm really enjoying what i'm doing right now um but again i think as i said i think i've been here for like 15 16 years at this point uh personally uh, i've been i'm married i have a one, uh, 10 years um uh, have a 8 year old son who who was born in bonapair um and we live in the east coast uh, side of the us at this point that's great yeah thanks a lot uh, for that um, background uh, rohit so sounds like a pretty successful career there uh, and uh, uh, you know with the interesting domains you know especially on the financial sector tech sector and especially with the management consultants um So with that said um so you have a pretty successful career and you've been in US for 16 years um i understand i think you have the intent to you know move back to india so maybe if there is anything that you can share like you know what's the you know the driving factors or for how long is that that something that's going on in your mind or something that you have been considering 
Uh, so maybe we can dive a little bit more into that specific topic. Yeah, sure. Um, I think just to, I mean, I think the context probably would help a little bit. I think as I said, I think I came back in the US in 2008. Uh, I was in mid twenties. The only thing I wanted to do in my life at that point to have a successful career and make as much money as possible. Um, and I think US was a perfect, uh, perfect choice at that moment. Um, now been here for the last 15, 16 years, I'm almost touching 40. Um, and I started contemplating what's next for my second half of my life at this point. So, uh, so why, uh, why there is an intent, uh, um, I think. To be honest, I think when you talk to people who have already moved or who are planning to move, they probably will give you the same similar answers. But I think, I think one of our biggest reasons at this point is around um, uncertainty and, and some of the immigration challenges that we face while, while we are working on visas, um, regardless whether we've been here more than a decade at this point, uh, but we still are in the employment backlog. Uh, uh, chain. Uh, there is no near future site that we would get a green card, uh, which at some point I think it was okay uh, in my early stages of my career. But now I've been doing this for the last 15, 16 years. I always ask this question, and me, me and my wife sit and talk like, do we really want to be in this situation where if something, God forbid, happens and then we have to wrap up everything in 60 days and go back? Because that's how, that's how the policies work. Right. So if you don't find an employer within 60 days, you have to move back. Again, now with a son being almost 80 years old, uh, we have a we have all our life settled. Moving back at that point um, seems like a very, uh, very bad way to end everything what we have done so far in the U.S. and, and go back. Why don't we start planning around that instead of just waiting for that moment to happen? Um, but. Uh, so I think that's that's the main triggering point. And I think what happened drastically in the last couple of years during COVID, uh, back when it started, when everyone started working from home, uh, the firm that I was working for, they were going through massive reorgs, layoffs. Um, luckily, I was not part of the list, but I think every three months, there was an, a new list coming out and people were getting laid off. And it was a highly stressful time um, at that point. And I think that made me start thinking whether all this staying here or worth it. Uh, whether you want to make more money is more important at this point versus having a little bit of a sanity and stability in your life. Um, so I think that that triggered the conversation between me and my wife. And I think we spoke about like all the different factors that you can think of. Why moving to India probably is better for us as a family than staying back in the U.S. Uh, but I, I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. I think I'm not bashing U.S. I'm not growing uh, India. I think it's, uh, it's it depends upon, it's very subjective. I think it depends upon on the priority where, uh, what, what takes more precedence than the other. I think for the first 10 years of my career, I think US was the perfect choice. And I think I still, I'm still glad that I made that choice. But now if you think about it, I think um, things have shifted so much in the last four or five years. Um, earlier, professionally, if you had to move back to India, there were not many opportunities, or at least not many high-paying opportunities. Now that that bridge has opened, right? I think I've seen a lot of folks who are making that decision because they can go back, they can have a very similar career um, and make decent amount of money and have a very similar lifestyle or better lifestyle in India. Um, so, um, so I'm hoping um, uh, with the company that I am with at this point, I think whenever I make that decision, um, I can, um, that company has a very big presence in India and I can probably move back 
if I need be at that point and do an internal transfer. But again, I think that time will tell uh, if two to three years from now, um, I will have or we will have the same thought process. Um, but again, I think those are the triggering points. And now there are some opportunities available in India that can make that, that make us uh, make that move happen for us. Um, and I think the last point I really want to emphasize on is for me, I think I've been working for the last 16 years at this point. Um, do I really want to continue this life for next 20 years of my life? I mean, do I want to work in tech for next 20, of, 20 years of my life? I think the, probably the answer would be no. And I think the tech is moving so fast at this point. And I think artificial intelligence, LLMs, and all those coming, all those things are coming our way. We don't know what the job profile will exist, what kind of a job profile will exist, right? So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm also contemplating on that fact too. Do I want to be in a position where I continue to live in US for the longest period of time and wait for my son to come or move back and, and, and have a little bit of a stability, no immigration issues. Um, and then also in India, I think one thing that's extremely, extremely favorable at this point is ability to achieve financial independence a lot sooner than US, right? I think the, if, you, if you are fortunate enough to be in US, make all the money in dollars, you can take that money back in US and achieve the financial independence sooner um, than what you probably would be able to do in, in, in the US. Uh, which doesn't mean that I'm going to just just take all the money and not work in India. I mean, I would want to work in India, but at least I would not, I would have an option to do what I want to do um, or take a little bit of a break, uh, sabbatical if need be, or start my own company, uh, whatever that would be. But again, I think India gives me those options, which unfortunately at this point, US doesn't give me. Yeah, so thanks a lot for sharing and providing the context, right? I mean, as you rightly said, you know, you wanted to uh, be well prepared, you know, irrespective of whatever that, you know, a situation can occur where, uh, yeah, you know, from an immigration perspective or whatnot, and also like how things have changed in India and, you know, kind of rethinking that into a perspective in your decision process. Um, so sounds like I think, uh, you know, you have the intent uh, and also like some timeline in mind, I think, you know, whatever it could be in the future. And uh, I think you kind of touched about a couple of points there. One is I think you have the flexibility to do different things like an internal transfer, start a startup or, you know, take a sabbatical, you know, explore a few things. Um, the other one is also maybe are there certain milestones that you're kind of looking at, you know, before making the actual move? I mean, the intent is there. I mean, you see the, uh, the, the differences kind of narrowing it down between like the lifestyle or the kind of high paying jobs in India. but. Uh, uh, in terms of that actual move, um, I don't know if there are certain milestones that you are planning to, you know, achieve before making the actual physical move. So is there anything that you can talk through uh, in terms of that milestones in your planning process? I think that would be helpful. Maybe it could be on the financial side or on the career side or on the family side. Anything that you can talk through, I think that would be very helpful for the audience. Yeah, sure. I think, I think let's start from the family. I think, to be honest, I think on the family side, I don't have a milestone, but I do have a deadline. Um, I have an eight-year-old. I mean, I don't want to push this timeline further enough where my son is a teenager. And I think it, at that point, it would be extremely unfair for him to take his life from here and settle in a new country. Uh, I think in our thought process at this point, I think we're thinking, I think we have a two to three years window where we would want to make this decision and probably it would be less unfair for him to go back to India um, and, and settle in. 
but I think the good thing on that side, I think last time when I visited India, I, I actually went to a couple of schools. I think there are a lot of good international schools options at this point available for kids like him. So I'm less worried about that deadline. But again, I would want to get that done in the next couple of years if, if, I, if I do want to proceed with that idea. Um, on the second time, uh, on the second side, I think professionally, I think is, is the, I think I'm extremely happy what I'm doing at this point. I'm extremely happy with my employer. Um, I think if I get an opportunity to do an internal transfer with that employer, I think that would be my number one preference. Now, I think I'm not seeking any internal transfer at this point, but I think when the time would come, if at that point the option is available, um, I, think, um, um, I think that would be one of the milestones that I would want to seek to. Um, last, which is totally in my control, I think, is more around financial planning. Um, so I, I spend majority of my professional adult life in the U.S., I don't have any financial assets in India at this point. Yes, I have my parents, my brother, uh, my wife, my wife's parents and everyone. But I think at this point, our, uh, my thought is that I'm not seeking any financial help from either of our parents at this point. So whatever I need to do to settle down in India, I would have to plan accordingly. So what that means is uh, buying a property, buying a house or whatever we agree upon at that point, uh, setting up that house, buying a car, whatever those one-time expenses are. Um, so I have some numbers in my mind, depending upon where I would want to settle. So I think that's my number one goal from the financial planning perspective. Um, and, and the second, which I, what I call is bucket A of all the money that I need immediately when I land within six months to settle there. Um, second is the bucket B. And I think I touched upon financial independence a little bit uh, earlier. I mean, I do want to, if, in, if everything works out, I do want to be in a position when I want, when I go to India, I do have an option to pick my career or the pace of the career as, as, as I would like. For that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm reading a lot about FIRE. I mean, I think everyone probably is very uh, active on those kind of conversations these days, which is financial independence retire early. I'm not very interested in RE part. I'm interested in FI part which essentially makes you financially independent in a way that you can make your career professional choices the way you would want. And you don't have to be tied to your corporate job if you don't want to. Uh, because I spend, as I said, I spend 99% of my professional career here. Uh, once I move back to India, nobody, I mean, I can't tell whether I would want to continue working in that environment. What if I want to do something else? So there is a there is a thought process, and I'm happy to dig deeper uh, what my financial independence or what 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 that number looks like and how I came up with that number from the India context perspective. Uh, but I do have that number, so that's what I call bucket B, right? So once from the financial perspective, once I meet that bucket A plus bucket B, um, and then the other two things that we talked about uh, in terms of um, moving uh, sooner than later, not spending more than three, four, five years here. Um, and then getting an opportunity to do an internal transfer. So those are the three milestones that I, I have at this point. Uh, but again, uh, time will tell uh, how soon I can meet those timelines at this point. So. But planning is always the first start and, uh, you know, <laughs> things will happen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, uh, thanks for providing the context of all these, uh, you know, the key milestones on the different aspects of the move. Um, maybe let's, I think, uh, dive a little bit more into this uh, financial independence because that could be a, uh, a very interesting topic to a lot of people who are considering that option. And as you said, uh, especially for people who have earned in the Western countries um, and that feasibility of having the financial independence is much higher uh, when they move to a, like a low cost living country. I mean, again, you know, the 
inflation is much higher in India, but at least it's not like the cost of living is way, way, way uh, better uh, compared to the Western countries. So with that said, I think there's a lot of people who have that in, in, in their consideration. Um, so if you're okay, I mean, uh, let's dive that into a little bit, like, you know, the number, like, you know, from an Indian context, how did you come up with some numbers and what's your perspective? So it would be good to get uh, a little bit more details if you're okay to share that. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this conversation because I read a lot about this in the last couple of years. Um, because um, again, I think, um, uh, and the reason I, I started talking about this a lot with my friends and colleagues in the last couple of years, because when you had this thought, whether you would want to be whether you would want to do a corporate job for the rest of your life, for most likely the answer always comes in my mind is no. And if you don't want to do that, then what you would want to do is you want to make sure that you have enough financial stability in your life that can that can give you an option not to pick that uh, corporate job for the rest of your life. Uh, so interestingly, I think when I started talking about this or started asking people around me, so there were like three different types of answer I got. One, when I asked them, hey, what do you think, how much money you need? Uh, to quit your job today and do nothing. And most likely the number came out was extremely absurd. Like if people were in US, they were throwing out number like 5 million, 10 million, some actually threw 20 million, depending upon where that person says. Like I, I know this guy who is in Bay Area and he wants 20 million before he retires. Um, and I, I spoke to a couple of folks in India and they had like 20 crores, 50 crores, whatever that number is which kind of didn't make, my, make sense because I kind of uh, understood what kind of expenses they have. Like if you're spending 100K every year, you don't need $10 million to retire. Uh, that's a simple math. But again, I think we'll come to that. The second category of the people were, uh, well, I need 2 million or 5 crores because my expenses are 1 lakh. And how are you going to get those 1 lakh? I'm going to put those 5 crores in fixed deposit. My interest is going to be 5%. That's 25 lakhs. I'm good for the rest of my life. That's, again, a very conservative approach. Uh, people are not thinking about inflation. What are the nominal returns? What are the real returns? Um, so um, that, again, didn't convince me that it's the right approach. Um, and the third category of the people were, like, why are you even asking this question? Well, I mean, aren't we supposed to work till 60? Uh, I don't think that's an option to retire early at this point. So, so, when I, when, so these are the majority. These are like the 95% of the people that I've spoken to. And their answers were like in one of these three buckets which kind of didn't align with what I was looking for. And so when I started reading, digging deeper more, and then I, at that point, I, I stumbled upon FIRE, F-I-R-R-E, which basically is financially independent early that you can figure out or you can achieve financial independence by choosing none of any of these three options, which basically means you need to come up with a portfolio um, if that invested wisely can give you returns that can be sustainable for life. Right. So essentially, that's the definition, if you think about it, in very high level terms. So there was a research that was done in the U.S. couple of, like, not couple, but decades ago, what they call Trinity study, which I'm probably you're aware of, is 4% withdrawal rate. People talk about that all the time, that if you have a portfolio of, as an example, 10 crores, you can withdraw 4%, which is, what, 25 lakhs, or whatever that number comes out to be. Um, uh, or 40 lakhs, sorry, uh, uh, and, and you can withdraw that 40 lakhs uh, for the rest of your life and you're good to go. You don't have to do anything about this uh, and you don't have to work uh, for the rest of your life. But again, I think that the study was done for US with some assumptions made. One, that the person who is retiring is not an early retiree. 
that person is probably in late 50s or early 60s. Plus, they were getting retired in the U.S., which is far more stable and developed economy. So, and also when I started reading um, recently, within the U.S. also, I think now they're saying that uh, the 4% might actually be very optimistic. And now they're targeting 3.5 or between 3.5 and 4%. So, I mean, if, if you take all that into account, and if you go back to from the India context perspective, and let's be more conservative, and let's say, well, 3.5 and 4% seems too optimistic for India. Um, I think there is a number being discussed, which is 30x multiplier, which is nothing but a 3.3% withdrawal rate, right? So, so if you take that into account and say, I can, if I have 30x of my annual expenses, then I can also achieve financial independence in India, right? So what that means, and let's take a use case here where we have a family whose monthly expenses are one lakh. Their yearly expenses would be 12 lakh. Uh, 12 lakh into 30x is what, 3.6 crores. Um, so if you have 3.6 crores, then you can achieve financial independence in India too. Now you can be more conservative. You can, instead of 30x, you can do 40x, whatever that number suits you, but I think 30x seems to be an agreed number that I'm, I'm hearing in different, different forums at this point. But I think what, what one thing I'm seeing missing in some of these conversations is nobody's actually talking about inflation. Nobody's really talking about real returns versus nominal returns and how your 3.6 crore portfolio needs to be invested, right? So if I, if I take that approach and I put all my money in fixed deposit, which gives me 6%, and India inflation is 7%, I'm essentially getting a negative minus one return, right? Negative one return at this point. So my portfolio is not gonna last 30 years. Forget about 30 years, it's gonna last less than 30 years, right? If you're counting inflation. But people don't talk about that part very much, right? In order for, so when, as you study more and more, and I think we can dig deeper, but I think in order for you to withdraw any X percent from your portfolio, you wanna make sure that your portfolio return minus your inflation is more than whatever you want to withdraw so that your capital remains intact and your portfolio keeps growing by inflation with whatever withdrawals you want to take to. So in this example, if I want to withdraw 3%, I want to make sure my portfolio will give me at least 10% because India inflation is 7% in this scenario. So 10 minus 7 is 3. So if I withdraw 3% out of my 3.6 crore uh, invested in a portfolio that gives me 10%, then theoretically I should be okay, right? So I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the theoretical part, but it's extremely um, difficult to achieve that unless you have a good understanding of where you want to invest this money, right? So I'm a big believer in uh, stock market. I'm a big believer in index um, investment, index fund investment. I don't pick individual stocks. Um, I don't think I have the capability to figure out what stock are better than the others. I would rather be have a more, much more passive approach in this. Um, so from the India context perspective, if you have a portfolio where you have invested 60, 70% in your index Nifty, 50 or Nifty next 50, and remaining 30, 40% in the other assets like debt, fixed deposit, then the combination of those two historically has given more than 10%. And which basically means that your real return becomes more than 3%, which you can withdraw for the rest of your life without, without touching your capital um, and without getting worried about running out of money in your late, late, late decade of your life. Yeah, 
So thanks a lot for sharing those numbers, right? Um, I mean, again, I think it's very subjective to each and everybody's like, you know, first one is their monthly income, I mean, like monthly expenses, sorry, um, in terms of what is that they think that they would need, um, uh, not only at the time of when they're thinking of retirement, but also in the future as the healthcare cost inflation could be much higher, maybe where the kids are, I mean, in the different parts of it, right? Um, that's one aspect. The second aspect also is the longevity, you know, this 30 years, uh, because it kind of goes back maybe, you know, at 60 years you're retiring and then you have another 30 years to live or, live or whatever, right? Or if you're like retiring early, that number could be vary. I mean, again, it, it's a subjective, but I think the key point that you mentioned there was uh, having the uh, after inflation returns to be higher than your uh, withdrawal rate. So that way your corpus fund stay intact and uh, you have this uh, flexibility to uh, withdraw the money for your expenses and you can still maintain that lifestyle, you know, which is like inflation beat, uh, uh, you know, beating that, uh, the uh, returns, the returns are beating the inflations. Um, oh, uh, maybe I think the uh, one question there, uh, uh, I wanted to check uh, in terms of, I think you mentioned about bucket A and bucket B, right? So definitely there is this ongoing, um, expenses which is much more like a recurring but also there is like a one time like you know the house the vehicle or it could be any different aspects of it um i don't know if there is anything that you want to touch base on that um but again this is like you consider that as a one time um so that you don't have to consider that as a part of your monthly expenses uh, at least you know from your planning if you're willing to share how are you considering or planning on that aspect yeah, I, I, no, I think that's a very good point because I think, again, I think as you mentioned, I think the whole financial planning is extremely personal and subjective, right? I think what I call, what I put in bucket A versus bucket B could be very different from other people. And they could, and the other people could probably have more than two buckets or maybe one bucket, depending upon how they want to do the planning. I mean, in my, in my thought process at this point, my bucket A, which is my one-time expenses, include buying a house, setting up that house, uh, buying a car probably um, and then I also want to put aside some money for my child's higher education right so that's my bucket a uh, I'm not planning to put at this point again this is very personal I'm not planning to put any extra money for my child's marriage as an example or a wedding uh, so that's not in my financial planning at all uh, but for some people like if they have uh, children if they have daughters they might want to put some of that money in their bucket a um, so I think that's that's my thought process at this point. And especially, I think it's extremely important for people like me because A, we don't have any financial uh, assets in India. So I think the first thing that we want to make sure is that before we make that decision, this bucket A is sorted, um, at least in the first six months. Because you don't want to get into the position where you're already in mid-40s and you're going back and then you're taking a massive loan in India uh, for buying a property and then again, getting into that rat phase where you have to spend like 10, 15 more years to pay that loan. And with the caveat now, real estate in India is extremely expensive, especially in the last couple of years. So I would highly encourage people to do very thorough research where they want to be. And it varies a lot between tier one and tier two cities too, right? Like cities like Delhi, Gurgaon, Hyderabad, Bangalore are massively expensive at this point. Um, so the numbers probably have looked a lot different today, to be honest, which the number that I had a couple of years back because of this massive real estate inflation. Um, but I think going back to the recording expenses, um, um, 
that's again i think it's extremely subjective but i think one thing i really want to emphasize on two things one um when we talk about our monthly i mean we took a use case where we said one lakh per month an expense for a family right when we talk about one lakh i mean not all that one lakh is your needs right we we have we need to be very cognizant of the fact that some of that money is very essential to survive which what i put that into a need bucket and the other side of the money is good to have right like shopping eating out ordering traveling like all those kind of buying electronics whatever that is that's not i mean that's good to have and that's what i call in want bucket right so um and let's say, again from a very simplicity perspective in this particular example if i say out of that one lakh i need absolutely i need 50000 per month to survive because if i don't have 50000 i can't run my house i can't feed my family i can't do the essential things rest 50000 rupees is all for wants right shopping traveling whatever that is again this 50 50 ratio could be very aggressive it could be 75 25 whatever that is the reason i'm emphasizing on this point avinash because what happens is we get so fixated with this whole withdrawal rate yeah. right that hey i can withdraw like 3% every year well you're not going to withdraw 3% if the market does not do well in your previous year you don't have to withdraw 3% you would in this case 50% is your need so i would not withdraw 3% i would withdraw 1.5% because i know market just took a hit i'm not going to take uh, 3% out of it but i would want to survive for the next year so i would withdraw half of the money that i need because that is good enough for me to survive right and similarly if the market massively does a better job you can always add more than um, more in your one bucket right depending upon what your calculations looks like but i think people really don't talk about this much so i think i really want to focus on that because it's not a systematic withdrawal rate or it's not fixed withdrawal rate it's a dynamic withdrawal rate and you have to evaluate every year depending upon what market did and what money and what is important to you um and the second thing i was talking about real returns right and inflation uh, adjusted returns now uh, and i gave an example where i'm probably more i'm probably okay with having a little more risk profile in my portfolio which basically means 60 to 70% of uh, stocks and 30 40% debt and fixed deposit which gives me 10% theoretically return but if you're not if you don't want to do that and if you say hey i'm not i'm not going to do that and there are a lot of people who probably say i'm going to just do 100% debt or 100% fixed deposit then you have to think about what what that real return looks like if you if you look at the numbers at this point debt gives you 7 to 8% right and your inflation is around that point so that means your real returns are 0% and now 30x number is not going to work for you right now you need 40x or 50x whatever that time horizon you're looking at if you're 40 you want to plan till 100 or 90 then the 30x number is not going to work for you so i think so risk profile is extremely important so how do you invest your portfolio is extremely important and also have a very good understanding of what on your expenses what your needs and wants are that can also help you understand how much money you need for sure because every year is not the same i mean these are like the average returns that uh, you can see on a decade right so you know there will be some fantastic years there will be some years which is not that great and uh, you can't have this fixed rule that i'm just going to withdraw this much of money um so with that said uh, if you are okay uh, now that you have that intent are you like investing primarily in the united states or are you diversifying or how are you considering even to get to your corpus fund or like you know the savings right are you 
primarily focused only in the US or are you diversifying between US and India? If, if you're okay to share, uh, again, I think, you know, people might be in the same bucket, right? I think, you know, they might be considering yeah. how they should plan. Uh, if, if you're okay, if you can share that, I think that would be helpful too. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean at this point, um, I'm 100% US. I'm not investing anything in India. And I think my, again, this is just my thought process is that um, I think I have an advantage of uh, investing in US dollars, which is a stronger currency. And there is a, if you think about it, I think there's a three to 4% markup every every year happens, right? I think the, the, what that means is rupee loses three to 4% of its value against dollar every, every year, right? Historically, if you look at it at this point, so I am not looking to invest in Indian rupee or Indian market yet. But having said that, within the US, I'm not 100%, whatever my stock portfolio looks like at this point, is not 100% US. I think I have diversified X percent in US versus X percent in emerging markets and emerging markets by default cover. I think the challenge that Vinash I have, and I think probably you would understand this too, is when you invest in US, you have an option to invest in your retirement accounts, which is your 401k and IRAs and HSAs and all those kind of um, uh, good good stuff. And also you have an option to invest in your regular taxable brokerage account. So at this point, I think my investments are in all of them, right? Um, so I have decent amount of investments in the retirement in the 401k and I have decent in the taxable. I think what I'm trying to figure out at this point is how to evaluate how much money I can take from my retirement account before my actual retire age comes into the play, right? So what that means essentially is whatever money I have in my non-retirement accounts, that's easy. I mean, I would probably in my first two years of moving India, when I had that R and OR status, I would move all my assets to India and probably use that for my bucketing, which we were talking about, which is basically buying houses and setting up houses, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, but again, I think the other bucket, which is your monthly expenses or reckoning expenses, I need to figure that out with, with an assumption at this point that let's assume that I don't work in India at all. Um, then, um, so I'm, I'm still figuring out what that would mean. I think I've done some research in terms of how can I use my 401k, convert that into IRA, and maybe to take some systematic withdrawals from IRA to convert them into Roth and take that Roth money to India. But again, I think there are a lot of tax implications in this. Um, so, um, and I'm, I'm learning and digging deep more uh, every day on that. I think that's one part of the puzzle that I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. Um, but again, again, that's another cautious I would do. But when, when I started planning for this, I underestimated the tax implication of target, uh, retirement accounts, um, especially when, when you want to use that money in India and not, and when you want to use that money in India before your actual retirement. If you want to do it after retirement age, probably it's, it's, it's not going to be that complicated, but if you want to do it before you turn 60 or 59 and a half, whatever that retirement age is, yeah, you, you want to make sure that you account for taxation on both countries. Yeah. So again, uh, thanks for sharing that. So maybe a couple of points that I want to add on from my uh, perspective on this uh, conversation. Um, I know I think your personal preference is to invest in US, which is what I have done even before moving. Um, but one thing I think uh, what I can tell is, especially on the real estate inflation, right, especially in the tier one cities, uh, if you have any intent, uh, it might be something worthwhile to look into 
investing that even before moving right in the sense that because the inflation there you're looking at much higher rate even after you consider after the deflation right for example uh, the depreciation of us dollar to inr even when you take that into consideration uh, the investment in the real estate could be a different uh, uh, different profile uh, if you do it early uh, that's just one point that I wanted to add on. I, again, nothing to do with the stocks, nothing to do with the regular uh, investment vehicles, only on the real estate because the inflation is just so high uh, on that particular asset class in India. Even after the depreciation of the rupee to US dollar, uh, it still could be a better option to consider that. So it's something worth exploring for the people who have that intent. That's one point I wanted to make. And the second point, as you mentioned, especially for the retirement accounts, there's a lot of this tax planning uh, that's required. I mean, it's not as easy as you can withdraw because there is a penalty. Um, and I think as uh, as you're mentioning, you know, the RNOR status, right? Residents, not ordinary residents. So especially this is something that you can avail, uh, especially if you're living uh, outside India for 10 years and you're eligible for this particular status for two years or three years, depending on the timing of the move. Uh, the good thing is, I think the global income is not taxed in India. Uh, so that is the beauty of that RNOR status. Um, but in the 401k funds, like our IRF funds, uh, you know, you would pay the 10% penalty, but because you are not working in US, for example, you don't have to pay a higher tax bracket, you know, and also you would be in an advantage in India, so you don't have to pay taxes for this global income. However, after that RNOR status, if you try to withdraw to maximize the tax savings in US, you might have to pay taxes in India. So that, that's one aspect. The other aspect is Roth IRA. Even though US considers the Roth IRA, which is the tax-free growth of your investment. However, I don't think India considers that as the same way. Like, you know, um, that's, I think, another gray area where, you know, from a, if you're living in US, you can plan it as like, when you convert to Roth, all the, uh, all the growth on that is tax-free, which is awesome, right? But however, if India is not considering that and you have to pay taxes, uh, that does not give any advantage from a tax planning perspective. Uh, so I know there are some gray areas how India treats the Roth IRA accounts. And, you know, it's, is it better to withdraw the entire amount if you don't have any intent to come back to US or do you want to withdraw later? I mean, it also depends on if the kids are planning to come back to US for study. Maybe you can use for that at that time. So there are these lot of things uh, which are very subjective, which are very personal uh to consider how to plan for that uh, i just wanted to mention those two points uh just so that i think audience have uh, a different perspective to uh to the points that you mentioned there, Robert. no no those are very good points and i think i've been thinking about that for a while and i think it adds to the complexity here i think we it's, it's just not 401k ira Roth ira i think we have an hsa account i have my for my son i have a 529 account so i have to figure out all that kind of a stuff like how what what makes more sense and the, I think the other challenge I'm thinking is that RNR and OR is a temporary status, right? It's, it's one to two years, depending upon like how long you've been out of the India. But I think depending upon my situation, I'm guessing it's going to be two years for me. Uh, but within those two years, if you want to move all your funds from US, you essentially have to liquidate them. You have to sell all of that. And have to, you have to bring that money to India. But now within those two years period of time, who knows how the market would be? Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, it's a massive amount of, uh, um, it's a massive amount of judgment that you have to do at that point, whether it makes sense. And again, as you said, 
even if you don't do that, you have to evaluate and compare like both A and B options, which makes more sense and which are more tax efficient, whether you keep it there, take, as you said, 10% penalty and then take the money out or when the time comes to take it out at that point and then pay taxes in India. So yeah, so I think that's that's the part of the puzzle I think I have to figure that out because again, that's an extremely important part of the financial planning too. Yes, so. yeah, definitely. So yeah, thank you very much, Rohit, for uh, getting a lot of details uh, in the financial part of the planning, like how you are considering about that milestone uh, for the move. Uh, uh, I know I think we have covered quite a few things on the planning side. Is there anything that uh, you want to communicate or tell the audience that we haven't covered uh, as part of your uh, plan to move back? Well, I, I mean, I mean, the only thing I would say is, um, I mean, if there is an intent, uh, I, I would really dig deeper why, why there is an intent and why you want to move back. Um, and depending upon your situation, how old are you? Or what's your family situation? Do you have children? Um, do you have any family members in the US or not? I would really emphasize and start spending more time talking to your partners to figure out whether what, what's the right move for the next couple of years going to be. Because as we talked about a couple of things, this requires massive planning, and especially for people who've been here for more than 10 years. Uh, well, if you came here for like two or five years, I think it's probably from a financial planning perspective, it might be a lot easier. But if you spend the majority of your career here, it's going to take a good amount of time. So I would I would give at least two to three years to figure all this out before you make that decision. Completely agree. I mean, I, I can tell from my uh, uh, from my personal side, um, I moved to US after education, right? So I never worked in India. So I don't know the financial system there, the taxation, the tax planning. All I know is pretty much in US. So it's almost like you are starting a new life or like learning all this. Uh, uh, you know, how to navigate through this. I mean, uh, so it, it's definitely a lot of thinking and planning that needs to be done, especially on the financial, because you're more aware and you you know the system much better because if you've been living in US for almost more than 10 years, you know the system very well. Uh, but in, in terms of like the double taxation, the tax planning, the financial system in India, that's another new process that you have to learn and also uh, work through how to plan the move accordingly. Yeah, and I think one other thing, I, I, I'll just a little bit of cautious, uh, is that I speak to a lot of people who've been in the US for the last 10, 15 years, and I think this number has grown up significantly large in the last couple of years due to COVID and massive layoffs that have happened in our industry. Uh, people are extremely scared, extremely frustrated with their jobs, extremely unhappy with what they're doing. And by default, the only option in their mind comes is, well, let's just move back and let's just leave this corporate life and let's just start from the beginning. I would be very cautious of making that decision because then you're just running away from one thing to another. I think if you want to go back to India, if you want to move back to India, thoroughly think about why, what is the rationale behind you want to move back to India? Is it family? Is it professional career? Is it financial independence? Whatever that is. But just don't make this decision if you're just unhappy in your job. I think you can always find another job or you can move to another Western country. Like put those options ahead of uh, before you make a decision of like moving everything from here to India, because I'm seeing that trend as well. Yeah, that's a very fair point. And I think if possible, and if you have the flexibility with the work, it's better to spend a month or two living in India, not like visiting India, like, you know, just rent a place, you, you understand the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but I think it's a very important point, just 
don't make a hasty decision that you're moving from this problem and you know there could be it's not a well thought of move and uh, it might not land successfully or it's not a soft landing yeah yeah and also if you have children i'd highly suggest go visit the school and whatever city you're planning to retire or whatever plan you city you're planning to move to there are massive i've seen a drastic changes in school i think i remember my school days which was 20 years back now the schools look very different they have a very different curriculum there are international boards there are different types of boards that can cater to depending upon what, what the requirements are and take your children along with you let them see what the school looks like let them absorb um i went to a couple of international schools i can tell that i'm i was a little more confident that my son can actually be a little more uh less um uh, unsuccessful in that kind of an environment versus if i send him to like a cbs again this is my approach but again i think that's another important factor that you would want to evaluate for sure definitely yeah everybody in the family has to be happy with the move yeah exactly yeah yeah it's not about us it's about everyone right so. yeah so yeah i i think uh, that's a lot of valuable information there rohit um is there anything that uh, you know we haven't covered anything that you wanted to highlight um before we wrap up no i think we covered a lot of stuff so avinash again thank you for thank you for setting this up uh, i'm i'm hoping some of this would be a valuable information for folks who watch your channel uh good luck with everything in the future but if there are any comments on this video when it gets live if, if we need to dig deeper i'm happy to i'm happy to have that conversation so yeah thanks a lot rohit for uh, taking the time and providing the uh, valuable information regarding your planning or your intent to move and how you're planning about it uh i know different people are in this different phases so i i definitely feel uh this could resonate to some of the people some of the audience who are in the same boat uh and i really appreciate you taking the time and based on the feedback from the audience if needed we can do a follow up uh, you know conversation on that specific topic and uh thanks again and have a great day thank you thank you